sorry. Um, there's just been something in the air, like, like, that, like the atmosphere at Shift Church is tr- truly is changing, and um, I'm super excited to see what God has for us in this year of things that have never been for us. All right, we've said that from the beginning of this year, that we want this year to be a year of things that have never been for us, and with that expectation, God is showing up. It's amazing what happens when you show up to a place. You can turn the lights all the way up if you want to. Um, it's, it's funny what happens when you show up with expectation of God doing something. You with me? Like this morning, I still believe that marriages can be restored. I still believe that healing can happen. I still believe the power of the Holy Spirit can give you the gifts that God wants to give you. I believe, I believe that families can be brought back together. I believe that salvation is still possible. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't have to keep living the same lifestyle, the same going down the same road that you've been going on your whole life. You can be changed today. And I'm just excited to see what God does. I, I believe there's going to be life changed this year. I believe there's going to be baptisms upon baptisms this year. I believe God is going to have us moving to a, to a place, not only physical, but spiritual, you know, in a way that, that like it's unimaginable. But see, this week... We're starting a series to the, the, the book or the Gospel of Mark. And, and the Gospel of Mark was written to an audience of Romans. And, and, the, and the Roman people, the Roman, uh, the Roman government, the Roman people um, were all about action. You with me? They were, the Roman people were all about action. They were about movement. They were about the king, like their kingdom, their, their empire advancing. And the Gospel of Mark is on display that the, the kingdom of God is truly advancing in this time period. In fact, it's not just in this time period. We'll read here in a minute that, that the kingdom of God is at hand now and where we are. But the Roman, Roman people were all about movement, about advancing, and the gospel of Mark is often referred to as the gospel of action. Um, the gospel of action, you can go back go back to the, the, the original screen. But, um about a gospel of action, it was a it was a it was a gospel uh, it was a gospel of movement of uh, of just them driving forward. In fact, um, the the Mark is one of the shortest gospels of the four gospels, but it is action packed. In fact, there are twenty one miracles, two of which are uh, are unique to the book of Mark of Jesus's miracles. Um, and Mark records three times as many miracles as he does parables or the stories that Jesus tells, which gives Mark this sense that there's this urgency to get this message out. Because anytime there's action, there's like this sense of urgency. There's this sense of we got to keep moving forward. And that's, and that's what Mark's gospel is about, about the gospel advancing, about Jesus' ministry advancing across the land. And, now, and not only is, is it our role to advance this gospel, but we have a huge role to play inside of that. See, Mark's, there's two purposes to Mark's gospel. Number one is to confirm Jesus' messianic identity and his authority. His messianic identity and his authority. You will see through, the, through Mark's gospel that Christ has authority over the natural realm and the spiritual realm. He is, has authority over not only man, but beast and, and, and our enemy, the devil. He is the master over creation, over the spiritual realm, and of the devil. Mark shows us that it is possible not only to, and number two, this is the second thing, is that Mark will show us that, it's, it's that we also have the same authority as believers to walk as in, inside of Christ's authority. That it's our call 
inside of this authority that we walk in to, to bind up darkness in his name, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to walk in power of the Holy Spirit. Like we are called to walk in authority, not with timidity. We do not have, he's not given us a spirit of fear, the Bible says, but a, a spirit of power. And that power is the Holy Spirit. But one of my favorite displays in Mark, <laughs> and I guess it's the rebel in me, all right? But my favorite displays in Mark is it shows that Christ will not conform and not be confined by anyone's definition of who he is or who he should be. In fact, he breaks many, breaks many stereotypes of what the coming Messiah would be. Well, it's, and by the way, it's false narratives that they've gotten wrong. But here's what you need to know about today. And it's this, is that the kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is now. It's the title for today. All right? We've got a lot of work to do. Let's keep going. All right? Starting in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. This is the beginning of the wonderful news about Jesus the Messiah. Who's the news about? Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. That should allow you to breathe a little bit. Like the gospel is really not about you. It's about him. So the that should lift some weight off of us this morning to know that he is in authority. He is in all control of everything. You with me? All right. So this, this is the beginning of the wonderful news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It starts with Isaiah the prophet who wrote, Listen, I'm sending my messengers ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is the thunderous voice of one who shouts in the wilderness, Prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord Yahweh, and clear a straight path inside your hearts for him. John the baptizer, John the Baptist, was the messenger who appeared in, uh, in an uninhabitable region, preaching, the, preaching a baptism of repentance for the complete cancellation of sin. And I'm going to pause right here just for a second. This is where some denominations get the idea that baptism, salvation comes through baptism, which is not what this was all about. This baptism was just a form of an outward expression before Jesus of, I'm repenting of my sin. So this is... Pre-Jesus, now post-Jesus, you can only be saved by one name, and that is the name of Jesus. And now baptism is an outward showing of an already inward change. You with me? So if you hear any other pastor, any other denomination say, baptism now saves, that's a, that's a heresy, and they need, they need to shut their mouth. You with me? Yeah. John the baptizer was a messenger who appeared in an uninhabited region, preaching the baptism of repentance for the complete cancellation of sins. A steady stream of people came to be dipped in the Jordan River as they publicly confessed their sins. They came from all over southern Israel, including nearly all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. John wore a rough garment made from, uh, made from camel hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and honey. Locusts is just a um, form of grasshoppers. I used to do that as a kid, so I guess, you know. Um, people would say, I'll give you five bucks to eat a grasshopper. I'm like, all right, cool. Five bucks. All right. He ate locusts and honey of the wilderness. And this is the message he kept preaching. There is a man coming after me who is greater and a lot more powerful than I am. I'm not even worthy to bend down and untie the straps of his sandals. First, I want to point this out is that we have the same call as John the Baptist. I want you to write this is important. We have the same call as John the Baptist. 
to call people to repentance before the second coming of the Messiah. He was, he was, he was the messenger in the wilderness calling out, the, calling out that there is one coming after him, a Savior who would save the world. And now it's our job as believers to carry on John the Baptist's message of, hey, there's one that is coming that will take us all home. Repent and believe. Prepare for Christ's second coming to call all we encounter, all we encounter to, to repentance. It's, it's, it's our turn it's our turn to do that. Like, and this isn't a suggestion. This is, actually a, this is actually a command for us. It's a commission. You with me? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go into all the world and proclaim. That's our call. That was Jesus' call to us before he ascended to heaven. Go and proclaim. You with me? But secondly is this. I don't know if you know much about Jesus' family history, but John the Baptist was actually Jesus' cousin. He was family. And there's something about the fact that even as a family member, he says, I am unworthy to bend down and untie the straps of his sandals. You with me? Like there's something, like if he feels that way as being as close to Jesus as anybody could get, how should we enter into his presence? You with me? Because we don't deserve to be in his presence. Yes, we said it last week with persistent boldness, absolutely. But we should also enter his presence with reverence and awe. Like this isn't to be taken lightly. The creator and the king of the universe wants to meet with us. And he, he made it possible. He made, it, he made us worthy through what he did on the cross. Him sacrificing being sin on our behalf made it available to where we can enter the presence of the king. You see, we can, we can talk about jumping in worship. We can talk about raising our hands. We can talk about shouting. We can do all this stuff. But the most, the most reverent form of worship, anytime people encountered the presence of God, what did they do? They fell prostrate on the floor. And even, even John said, I'm not even worthy to do that. You with me? We enter his presence, yes, with persistent boldness because he gave us permission to, but we enter his presence with reverence and, and awe because we don't deserve it, deserve to be there. But Christ made it so, and it's not to be taken lightly. That's why I, like Sunday, like even Sunday mornings to me are so important because it's, it's, my, it's my chance to be like, I'm gonna, like, yeah, I can do it Monday through Saturday, but this is a designated time to where I'm saying I'm entering the presence of the king. I'm entering the presence of the king. Mark 1.8 goes on to say this. It says, I have, I have baptized, this is John the Baptist speaking, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And I love Matthew, Matthew's um, version of this story. Right? In Matthew 3.11 it says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire being power. Like one translation says, with, with the raging fire of the Holy Spirit. The Messiah, Jesus, will not only cleanse you through the Spirit, but also empower you from repentance, from repentance comes empowerment. There's a power that you have yet to be tapped into. There's a power that is, that is yet, like, you, like if you just, like, if you just got a taste of it, if you, got taste, you would never turn back. In fact, it's a promise. In Acts 1.8 it says, but I promise you this, this is Jesus talking to his disciples after his resurrection. 
He's met with them a couple times. He's breathed on them, gave them salvation. And this is what he says a little bit later. He says, but I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be seized with power and you'll be my messengers. And some translations say witnesses, but the actual, the actual um, Greek there would actually say you will be a witness, meaning you're not going to necessarily a speaking witness, but people will see the power of God working through you. You will be a walking witness of the power of God to Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and to the distant provinces, even to the remotest places on earth. It starts, in it starts in Jerusalem, your home, and it stretches to where you live, work, and play. Every aspect of your life, you will be have the power to be a witness to the power of God. But he goes on to say this. One day, Jesus came from a Galilean village of Nazareth and had John immerse him into the Jordan River. The moment Jesus rose up out of the water, John saw the heavenly realm split open and the Holy Spirit descend like a dove and rested upon him. At the same time, a voice spoke from heaven saying, you are my son, my cherished one, and my greatest delight is in you. And I'm going to pause here just a second. Um, pause there just for a second and just say this. Um, there's a, a group of people, you may know them as Jehovah Witnesses, who believe differently about the Trinity, like the Trinity is just one like, like there was God, and then he came to, came to earth, and he became Jesus, and then Jesus became the Holy Spirit. Like, there's not three. Like, they're all the same person, just kind of like water, air, and water, steam, and ice. Like, there's, it's all the same thing, right? But this, this shows that, that their doctrine is actually false as well, because not only do you have Jesus present, you have the Spirit in the form of a dove present, while you have God speaking at the same time. So that's a false doctrine. That's a whole nother subject. But it's, if Jehovah's Witnesses come knock on your door, you'd be like, they're like, well, we gotta believe the same. No, 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 you don't believe the same at all. You're actually, you're like, you actually belittle my Jesus. You actually think Jesus is Michael the archangel. Well, and in fact, they actually believe that he is, he is Michael the only archangel, right? And then if you go to Daniel, I'm sorry, the rabbit trail. Daniel, Daniel... <laughs> Chapter 10, verse 15, I believe, even in their, in their Bible says that Michael, one of the archangels, right? And so it's like, so if they believe that Michael was the only archangel, then why in your own scripture does it say Michael, one of the archangels? Like meaning that there's more. So just, there you go. Let me get back on track. Where was I? Okay. At the same time, a voice spoke from heaven saying, you are my son, my cherished one, and my greatest delight is in you. And immediately after this, he was, you see how like, sorry, you see how like Mark is so like jam-packed with so much stuff? Like, I mean, anyway. immediately after, his, after this, he was compelled by the Holy Spirit to go into an uninhabited desert reason, uh, region. He remained there in the wilderness for 40 days and during the ordeals of Satan's test, he encountered wild animals, but also also angels who appeared and ministered to his needs. And here's just the thing: he like when the Bible talks about like he he's able to sympathize with your with your plight. He's like he he even though he was God in flesh, he was man too. He knew he knew what it was like to be tempted. He knew what it was like to go without. He knew he knew the struggles of this world. Right? He remained there. Uh, he remained there in the wilderness for forty days, and during the ordeals of Satan's tests. He encountered wild animals, but also angels who appeared and ministered to his needs. And later on, after John the baptizer, or John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus went back into the region of Galilee and preached the wonderful gospel of God's kingdom realm. Verse 15, his message was this, at last the fulfillment of the age has come. 
It is time for the realm of God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. This is where a lot of translations say the kingdom of God is at hand. You with me? The kingdom of God is at hand. But this is Jesus saying. The kingdom of God is at hand, and he wants you to experience it in his fullness. See, I think for too, too many of us, we, we've been, we've been walk, walking around half-heartedly walking around in our faith. And there's so much more than you could ever think, dream, or imagine that he has for you. Like, I'm so hungry for the overflow of the Spirit. Like, the fullness of that. I want it so bad. I want, I want the fullness. I want the, to experience the fullness that is, that is in him. And, but the question becomes, how do we do this? Mark tells us. But how do we do this? How do we, how do we experience the fullness of God's kingdom? In Mark 1.15, it says this. His message was this, at the, at, at the fulfillment of the age has come. It's time for the realm of God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. And this is how you do it. Turn your lives back to God and put your trust and hope in the hope-filled gospel. Turn your life. You wanna, you're, you're like, God, I don't feel like God's moving in my life, not moving in my marriage, not moving in my children, my relationship with my children, not moving in my job. Maybe it's because we haven't truly turned over everything to him. If you want the fullness of the kingdom, it requires your life to be fully surrendered to the king. Fully surrendered. That's, that's, and then we can truly live out when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. You with me? That every aspect of our lives has to be surrendered to God. It's, this is an invitation to self-denial. An invitation to self-denial, self-denial and submitting to the lordship of Christ over every ounce of one's life. Like he cannot be your savior if he is not your lord. And he cannot be your lord if he's not your savior. You tracking with me? It's complete surrender. Complete surrender. And then Mark 1.16, it goes on to say this. As Jesus was walking along the shores of Lake Galilee, I love this story, he noticed Two brothers fishing, Simon and Andrew. He watched them as they were casting their nets into the sea. And he said to them, come follow me and I will transform you into, into men who catch people instead of fish. And guess what happens? Immediately they dropped their nets and left everything behind to follow Jesus. You ever had that time when you kind of feel like, like you feel Jesus calling you to do something? And you're like, well, I'm going to pray about it for a little bit. Like if he's truly calling you to do it, there's no reason to pray. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't need to pray, oh, should I witness to this person? Should I talk to this person about Jesus? Why? Because he's already told us to do it. You with me? Like, I'm going I'm to I'm pray about it. No, no, no. Because it, it says immediately they dropped their nets and left everything behind. If Jesus is calling you to do it, step out and do it. Step out and have that conversation with somebody. Step out and serve that person. Step out and do those things. Walking a little bit farther, verse 19 uh, Jesus found two other brothers sitting in a boat along with their father, mending their nets. Their names are Jacob and John. Uh, uh, some translations say James and John. Jacob and James can be intermingled out there a little bit, okay? And their father, Zebedee, they both come from the same name, so you know. Jesus immediately walked up to them and invited the two brothers to become his followers. And guess what? Again, at once or immediately, Jacob and John, James and John, Dropped their nets, stood up, left their father in their boat with the hired men and followed Jesus. Verse 21. Then Jesus said to his disciple, uh, Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum and he immediately started teaching on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. 
The people were awestruck and overwhelmed by his teaching because he taught in a way that demonstrated God's authority, which was quite unlike the religious scholars. I'm sure that's probably part of what made them mad because he, like, they're like, I don't know what we're talking about, but Jesus talked as if he knew, right? And suddenly, during the meeting, a demon-possessed man screamed out, Hey, leave us alone. Leave us alone. Jesus the victorious, I, I know who you are. You're God's holy one, and you have come to destroy us. And they, you have come to destroy us. When Jesus enters a room, darkness has nowhere to hide. Darkness disappears. In fact, the name of Jesus has the power to change the atmosphere. See, for some reason, this demon-possessed man, the demon inside this man felt comfortable to even be inside the synagogue with the religious leaders at the time. But as soon as Jesus, who has all authority, steps into the room, it changes. You with me? Some of us need Jesus to step into the dark parts of our heart. For some of us in this room, there's some things that need to change about us. There's some darkness, there's some shame, there's some guilt, there's some, thing, there's some sin in our lives that we hope that nobody finds out that we're doing. You with me? And that's leading us down a road that is one full of shame and we can't do, like, there's no way you can fight out of shame. But if you get in the presence of Jesus or allow Jesus to get in the presence of that darkness, he will wipe all that away. It, it will change the atmosphere of your soul, of your house, and of your room, of this room. You with me? The name of Jesus has a power to change the atmosphere. Have you called out to him about it? It goes on to say this. Jesus rebuked him saying, silence, you are bound, come out of him. Now, there's a debate on why Jesus told him to be quiet. And here's, here's what I do believe is that he doesn't want the demon to, to proclaim who he is. He wants us as his believers to proclaim who he is. You with me? Jesus rebuked him saying, silence, you are bound, come out of him. The man's body shook violently in, in spasms and the demon hurled him, hurled him to the floor until it finally came out of him with a deafening shriek. The crowd was awestruck and unable to stop saying among themselves, what is this new teaching that comes with such authority? With merely a word, he commands demons to come out and they obey him. So not only does he have authority over the physical realm, but the spiritual realm. There may be some demons inside of you right now that just, and he has, he has the power to take those demons away. So the reports about Jesus spread like wildfire throughout every community in the region of Galilee. Now, as soon as they left the meeting, they went straight to Simon and Andrew's house along with Jacob and John. Simon's mother-in-law was, and this is the point where Simon got a little bit mad at Jesus, and you'll see why here in a minute, okay? Simon's mother-in-law was bed, bedridden, sick, and a high fever. So that first thing, the first thing they did was to tell Jesus about her. He walked, he walked up to her bedside, gently took her hand, and raised her up. Her fever disappeared, and she began to, ser to serve them. And if I was Simon, you know, like, why'd you heal my mother-in-law? You're like, she's so mean to me. You know what I'm saying? Just kidding. Simon, and, uh, later in that day, Jesus... At, uh, just after the Sabbath ended at sunset, the people kept bringing, bringing to Jesus all who were sick and tormented by demons until the whole village was crowded around the house. Jesus cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out demons, but he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew who, they knew he, they knew who he really was. The next morning, Jesus got up long before daylight, left the house while it was dark, 
and made his way to a secluded place to give himself to prayer. And if Jesus, like he needed to remove himself to give himself to prayer, we should too. It's kind of what the next three days are about. You with me? Later, Simon and his friends searched for him. And when they finally tracked him down, they told him, everyone is looking for you. They want you. Do they want him or do they want what he could give them is the question. You with me? Jesus replied, we have to go on to the surrounding villages so that I can give my message to the people there, for, there, for that is my mission. So he went throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the Jewish synagogue and casting out demons. On one occasion, a leper came, came and threw himself in front of Jesus, pleading for his healing, saying, you have the power to heal me right now, if only you really want to. This man... This leper came and threw himself down in the front of Jesus, pleading for healing. And this is what he said. He said, you have the power to heal me. I know you do right now. You have the power to heal me only if you want to. That phrase, that phrase struck me different when I read it this week. As many times as I've read Mark and read this story, for some reason it took me a minute to get past those words. I know you have the power to heal. You could heal me right now if you want to. If you want to. If you want to. Does Jesus really want to heal? That's the question. Does Jesus really want to heal? Does he want to heal your marriage? Does he want to heal your family life? Does he want to heal that addiction? Does he want to heal that shame and that guilt that's in your life? Does he want to heal you? Does he want to perform a miracle in your life? Does he want to give you the gift that he's longing to give you through the Holy Spirit? Does he want to? That's a question, right? Let's find out. Being deeply moved with tender compassion, Jesus reached out and touched the skin of the leper. And this, that's a big deal. Because they're like, I don't know if you know if you know much about the, the culture at this time. If you had leprosy, when you were within a certain distance of somebody, you had to start yelling, unclean, unclean, unclean. And if you touched the person that had leprosy, not only could you catch leprosy because it was highly contagious, but you would be considered someone who, who was dirty. You with me? And Jesus moved with tender compassion, reached out and touched this man who no one else was even willing to come close to. You may think your situation is untouchable by God, like you're too far gone, but I love Isaiah when he says his arms are not too short to save. He does not have T-Rex arms. He can reach you. You with me? He is actually moved with compassion for your story. Like he... Like, he wants, he wants your story to be a platform of his glory. Not just for his name to get out, but that, so that you can forever be clean. Because being deeply moved with tender compassion, Jesus reached out and he touched the dirtiness. He touched the thing that was unclean. He touches your sin. He touches your shame. His hands are all up in that, in that mix, wanting to do something with it. How do you know this, dear? How do you know this, Derek? Well, this is why he told him. 
of course I want to I want you to be healed he wants you to be healed he wants your marriage to be restored he wants he he, he, he wants that shame in your life to be lifted he wants that guilt in your life to be lifted that thing that you thought you would have to hold on to the rest of your life, that secret that you have to hold on to for the rest of your life, he is saying, I want to heal that. I do want to heal that. But it takes full surrender, full turnover, full repentance and trust in him. Of course I want you to be healed. So now be cleansed. Instantly, his leper, leprous sores completely disappeared and his skin became smooth. When he forgives you, when he heals you, there is, there is no evidence in the kingdom realm of what you've done, who you've been, and what you've been through. In fact, all he sees is the blood of his son. Instantly, his leprous sores completely disappeared and his skin became smooth. Jesus sent him away with very anyone about what just happened. But go find a priest and show him that you've been healed. Then bring the offering that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a living testimony to everyone. I'm going to pause right here because I, like, I feel like this would so much be me. You with me? So much be me. This is this. Verse 45. But no sooner did the man leave that, than he began to proclaim his healing publicly and spread the story ev- everywhere of his healing Jesus' Jesus's growing fame prevented him from entering the village, villages openly, which forced him to remain in isolated places. Even so, a steady stream of people flocked to him from everywhere. From everywhere. What does this tell us? That Jesus is indeed in the restoring, redeeming, and healing business. Jesus is in the restoring, redeeming, and healing business. Yes, this man was healed from leprosy, a physical healing. But there's so much more to this story. It goes so much deeper. His healing led to his restoration and to his community. And as you can see, he couldn't shut up about how he was changed, which shows that his story story was redeemed and became a platform for a message. He was healed, he was restored, he was redeemed, and he was healed. Jesus is in the healing business and he wants to heal your heart. He wants to get rid of that shame. And today, you and your story can be healed, restored, and redeemed. And all it takes is full surrender. All it takes is welcoming the healer to the room of your heart. See, my prayer for us as a church that is all those things that hold the people in this room and those who listen to us online later. My prayer is that those things be lifted off of us so that we can walk in true power we have in Christ the kingdom of God is now the kingdom of God is at hand and the kingdom of God wants to invade your soul and when you're in the presence of the king everything changes when you're in the presence of the king you're under his authority and under his authority you can walk 
with some authority saying, you know what, this darkness that's in my life, it does not have a hold on me. You can shake the shackles off your feet. You can shake the shackles off your marriage. You can shake the shackles off your, off your broken family. You can shake the shackles off your shame and your guilt. You can shake the shackles of whatever ailment you have because he has the power to heal. It just came up a lot this week. It's weird. It's not really weird how it's came up a lot, but... You know, people are... Conversation of prayer has come up a lot this week. With that thing of like, Derek, I've prayed about this, I've prayed about this, and I don't see nothing changing. And I'm just like, have you fully surrendered? One. But two, have you ever just thought about that prayer isn't really for God, but it's for us? You with me? Like, he already knows. He's just waiting for you to tell him. God, you know that my marriage is screwed up. I want you to heal it. And then you do everything. Like, you get into that dog fight and you fight for every minute. God, my family is screwed up and they're broken apart. I need you to heal my family. You get in there and you put in a dog fight for your family. God, I'm carrying around this shame from my past. Maybe it's not even shame from something you've done, but something that was done to you. You with me? I carried that around for 20 years. Maybe you just need to say, God, I need you to heal this because I can't carry this around anymore. And you fight like hell. You know, once you start walking out of that darkness, guess what's going to happen? The enemy is going to try to keep you dragged back in. The darkness will be like a blanket over a man. And as they try to pull that blanket off of that man, dark, like, darkness has a way of just staying unless we fully surrender. We can't keep saying, God, I turn it over to you, I turn it over to you, and I turn it over to you, and just not turn it over to him. Yes, we got to fight. But are you resting on your strength? Or are you resting on his? Are you going to welcome the healer into your room today? Are you going to welcome the healer into your shame today? Are you going to welcome the healer into... Are you ready for all that God has for you? Because the kingdom is now. And the gate to that kingdom is open. And he's waiting for you to experience it in its fullness. shame isn't welcome here anymore. That darkness isn't welcome here anymore. So don't, I'm going to tell you right now, don't walk in here anymore carrying that shame, carrying that darkness. Now you leave that at the door. Probably should have done that song today. It's all right though. Leave it at the door. Because it ain't welcome. The only thing that is welcome is the healer into this Thank God, we thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be here. Thank you that you are a healer. Thank you for the fact that you want to heal your people. God, I pray over the things that are broken in this room. 
I pray over the shame and the guilt that's in this room. God, I pray that...